Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Uh, it's been a long time since we've had a Bigfoot Field Guide radio show on, and uh, we just wanted to welcome everybody back. we got a great show lined up. Uh, this is actually a turning point for the Bigfoot Field Guide radio show. The show tonight is special because of who's our guest, and also the fact that Randy and I are stepping down as host of the Bigfoot Field Guide radio show. Uh, basically, now, now hold your applause. Uh, Basically, with the continuing growth of the MABRC, me and Randy are finding ourselves more and more involved in special projects, expeditions. I mean, there's just so much going on that we can't keep up with it. So uh, we found ourselves unable to really do the show to, to the credit that it really deserves. So what we've done is we've asked two really great ladies to take over the hosting duties for the show. Uh, Sharon Lee and Dre will be taking over the reins of the show from us, and we have every bit of confidence in them. Uh, I mean, they're they're just really great members of the MABRC, and we think that they'll really do a good job of uh, taking the Bigfoot Field Guide show up to the next level. And I know you got a few things to say about about them, uh, Randy. So you want to say? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as Darren said. <clears throat> This will be our last appearance as official hosts of the radio show. The show will be taken over by two very capable members of the MABRC, Dre and Sharon. They have been making changes to the show in preparation for them taking the lead in this. DW and I will still step in and host whenever needed. Dre has plenty of radio experience, and if you have listened to the radio commercial link at the top of our front page on the forum, you can tell that Sharon has a voice that can soothe the savage beast. She and Dre will be great taking over the radio shows. And they are great friends. So we are looking forward with great anticipation to the changing of the guard, if you will. So there you have it, folks. Uh, and I, we, we've got Dre with us. Uh, Dre, you want to say hello to everybody? Hey, guys. It's uh, it's really an honor to be able to, to step in. And uh, I can't really fill your, your shoes, but we're going to try. We're going to try really hard to, to make everybody proud and, and give a good product. Well, that, I mean, we we got all the all the confidence in the world on you all. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, whenever we do have to come in and fill in, we don't sound like a bunch of hicks or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and of course, now tonight, our uh, I think Sharon's going to be joining us a little bit later. Yeah, she's uh, calling in right now. Okay. Yeah. 
we'll uh, we'll get her in here and we'll do her little introduction here in a little bit. Uh, but tonight we've got a special guest and uh, the the gentleman that we're going to be talking to. Hey, we have uh, we've learned so much from him. He's pointed us in the right direction on a lot of things. Uh, we can't thank him enough for that. And uh, of course, uh, I'm going to let Randy be the one to introduce him. All right. Well, uh, you know, over the past few months, Ed and I have spent uh, a huge amount of time talking on the phone, almost on a daily basis. And uh, even though I haven't met him in, in person, I really feel like I, I know him very well just just from our conversations that we had. And uh, he's going to be our our uh, the, the person of interest on our show tonight. Hopefully, after this show, the rest of the community will know him. Everybody at the MABRC already knows him. As a matter of fact, I think a two-hour show may not be long enough to fill you in on all that is happening with Ed's group. It's nothing short of amazing. Ed and his group are known on the MABRC forum as the original six. Ed joined the forum this past year in a very low-keyed, quiet manner. No fanfare or announcements, just testing the waters by posting on threads about research. Right off the bat, Ed's posts stood out from any other research I have ever seen or read. The details of his projects that they were involved with and the thorough documentation of results left most of us wondering if it was even for real. After keeping up with his projects and experiments, I started speaking with Ed on the phone, and he said in the beginning his main purpose for bringing his research to the forum was to see if he could get people doing Bigfoot research to duplicate his group's findings by replicating their experiments. The reason being to help with the database of behaviors that can be counted on to repeat when the same stimuli is used in different locations. After talking to Ed about his past and present projects, some of which we saw unfold on the forum as they happened, we feel fortunate to be planning some joint projects with Ed's group. Ed's group has been flying under the radar of the Bigfoot community for eight years now. They have compiled some exciting results and evidence. Ed's group has agreed to talk about their research using Ed as their mouthpiece on this radio show. We will limit questions to the chat room during the show. The show is basically going to give Ed the opportunity to lay out where the research began for him and his group and what they're involved with now and what to expect in the future. I think a threshold is about to be crossed that will change research as we know it. Ed, did I lull you to sleep with that long-winded introduction? Oh, man, I thought this was the Dust Bunny Research Network. I'm sorry. I just call in. All right. Uh, anyway, yeah, that, that was probably more of a, I don't know, more of a fanfare than I really would have thought I deserved or we deserve. We just kind of do what we do. And uh, Well, don't, don't, I, I, you, you've got to allow us to have a certain amount of, of awe. You've been doing it for eight years. It might seem second nature to you, but it is so new to us that I, I feel like a child listening to what, you're, what you talk about. So I appreciate it, and you know, I'd just like for you to start from the beginning, you know, especially when you were a child you know, with, your, with your father in that camper on that well, uh, deer hunting. Guys, oh. if, I, if I could, let me, let me just interrupt. We got Sharon on the line. I just want to get her in here so she knows that she ain't being ignored. Hi. Uh, yeah, Sharon, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Okay, this is our other uh, host that is going to be taking over the show, folks. And uh, I hated to interrupt everybody, but I wanted to get her in here and let her say her hellos real quick and so she didn't think we left her out in the cold. Hi, 
Hey, Karen. I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay. <laughs> so, but well, yeah. I think everybody, I think everybody listening, you know, it would, it would, you know, even though I want them to hear all of the the details of, you know, the intricate details of of the work that they're doing, I think everybody wants to know where it started and how did it get to the point where it's at now. So I'll just leave it with Ed, and 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 occasionally I might interject with a question or two, but I, I think if he can just lay it out, we'll just listen. Well, okay. Um, I'll try to not be as long-winded as I am in some of my posts. Um, it started um, back when I was six years old and uh, went out on a deer hunting. It, um, we used to go with uh, probably 17, 18 people down to Pushmataha County, and that's, you know, I think everybody, well, though some people won't, that's southeastern Oklahoma. Uh, we went uh, deer hunting, and we, uh, me and my dad had opted and one more night down in the area by ourselves. We was going to get up and hunt that next morning. And uh, early in the morning, uh, we started getting uh, some uh, screeches or howls and some... They, they later started with flaps on the side of the camper. Um, and, of course, I'm six years old. I'm I'm scared, and I'm up there on top of the... Uh, camper. Uh, we had one of the over-the-cab campers, and um, I'm up there on top of the bed, and my dad is just sitting down on the bottom uh, that made out into a bed and just sat and watched the door. Uh, there's a point to where whatever it was uh, started uh, banging and slapping on the door, and um, almost like it tried to turn the doorknob but didn't quite know how to or didn't or or couldn't because we did have it locked um that went on for probably several minutes and then after that it seemed to leave and uh it the next morning uh, my memory serves me basically as we got up and uh, walked outside i didn't really see anything outside uh you know a couple of handprints maybe on the muddy type handprints on the side of the camper but at that age I didn't really understand what was going on um, at daybreak we just basically left um, dad had told me um, and when we talk about that incident he won't he doesn't say much other than the fact that he had seen them before in uh, northern Okmulgee County where the family owned land at the time and this is now this is mind you you know, early, late 50s, okay, so we're not talking about any recent report or anything. Um, we, uh, that kind of, you know, scared the, scared the P-Wadden out of me, and um, it, it kind of just faded from my memory and from my thought process, and uh, I, we did watch a couple, me and my dad used to watch scary movies late into late nights on uh, Saturday night and the weekends, and uh, we did watch, uh, ended up watching The Legend of Bogey Creek, and um, then when it uh, came out in 75, I believe, um, I think its name was Sasquatch Legend of Bigfoot. Uh, it was a, a docudrama about a, a team of scientists and wildlife observers that uh, went up into a, somewhere in town, let's say it was like um, Alberta or so, uh, I can't exactly remember where in Canada they went to. It was a document, it was fictional, but it was very, um, 
for the lack of a better term, motiva- motivating to me to see a, a a group of people approaching something so scientifically outside the realm of a quote-unquote monster movie or anything like that. Um, even though they had uh, archaic electronic devices by what we have today, uh, it really set the tone and the, the motion in my mind that you know, this could be something that we could do for real. And I always kind of kept that in the back of my mind and occasionally made a note or two and kept it in a journal that I that I, I still have. But um, it, and then it kind of, again, faded from my process, thought process. And when I got out of uh, high school, I went to college down there in Tahlequah, a very beautiful, beautiful part of the state. Um, and uh, had an experience uh, sighting, an encounter. I would consider it a counter, not, not much of a, I, I would say more of an encounter than just a sighting. Um, I, I could, the best I could term, put a term on that, that encounter was very brief, wasn't, but, you know, not, not any length. Uh, it's very serene and very very euphoric in its um, nature and, and its onset and uh, resolution to the, you know, as it walked away. And I thought, well, now that's pretty cool and that's really interesting. It didn't sink in until a lot later at, in my uh, my life that what I saw was what could have been what was outside that camper uh, until uh, three, almost three months after that uh, incident that I had a rather um, hair-raising encounter that um, I really don't necessarily like to talk about today, but I will. Um, other than the, I've, what I posted to the forum, but um, it really scared the scared the jonkers out of me because for those of us that have been fortunate enough or blessed or in some instances cursed with having an encounter with these wonderful little, I call them little, they're not little, these wonderful creatures that we have out here um, in nature, it's really something that we, we really need to treasure and really need to sit down and keep a record of um, because I really... I don't believe if that if if that occurrence of walking into their sleeping area never would have happened to me, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you because that was a real germination of the fact that this what I had experienced up until that point in my life started tying things together, and I thought, well, if ever I got an opportunity to start really studying what's out there that we, we call um, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, uh, Skookum, whatever you want to call it. If I ever got to the opportunity to really devote time and 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 effort to doing what I've been doing today with our group, then, you know, I'm going to do it. And over a period of time, because remember this is back in, in 81, um, a lot of things happened in my life. I was 
in the military. Um, spent eight years there. Come back. Uh, got into finished my college and and uh, went on into you know regular life like like every single one of us. Um, but as we got into the nineties, and I started interacting with a group of friends I've had for years, some of them back into high school. Uh, and we were sitting around the, the watching TV. Um, I guess it was in, I don't remember if it was on a weekend or if it was during the week, um, uh, just uh, during the summer, actually, in 1995. And uh, there was a report that came across the news, uh, just a real small snippet of uh, um, about a reciting in Colorado. And we ended up, uh, that kind of sparked a discussion amongst us. And... Uh, I finally decided, well, you know, I'll let it out and um tell I told my story about the our camper incident and our my two encounters that I've had and then come to find out that uh another person, another gentleman, uh who is part of the group now uh is also had an encounter in Louisiana. So that's kind of where the the germination for what's happened currently uh, started back in that very, those very early days of '95 or middle middle section summer days of '95. Um, we sat around and occasionally we would you know brainstorm. I think brainstorming is to solve a problem is probably one of the best assets we as humans have, as long as we can record it, write it down, or uh, put it on audio tape or or videotape, whatever. As long as those germinating ideas be that our seeds are allowed to continue to grow if they're going to come to fruition in anything we do. So, um, there's a click. Am I still on? <laughs> yes, I hear oh. you. Okay. Um, I, I really think that uh, when we brainstorm, we need to record and, and put all those wonderful things that come out uh, down onto paper or into recording and then go back and listen to them. Um, but that's what we did. We ended up brainstorming from 95 all the way up until late 98 when we started actually putting stuff out in uh, the fruits. I have a, uh, 78 acres behind my house, and uh, around here we have uh, several other people have pieces of property that have no kind of activity whatsoever, but they're great test beds for putting up equipment and seeing if it works, um, seeing if it doesn't work, how much power it pulls. And uh, we went through a year and a half of doing this before we ever went to my family's property where um, my dad and several of my uncles have had other experiences as well as myself uh, while we've doing, been doing this research. And before we ever set anything out there, that's we started testing it just to see, make sure it works. I mean, what... What use is something if you're going to spend money and time and effort if you're going to set it out there and it don't work and something happens and you know you have no no nothing to show for it um, and that's kind of where we're we came from today we you know we've written a number of procedures and policies and and uh, uh, protocols and, and all that other good stuff that I 
I've also posted most of, not most of it, but a good chunk of it to the forum. But um, that's over that particular from 95 on up through early 2002, we really was very heavy into figuring out what works, what doesn't work as far as the technical issues, and also how to interact, or I say interact is not the right word, but how to approach these these creatures in a, in a method, in a manner that we could be the most productive. And uh, I know it seems like a lot of stuff that we've thrown out there on the forum that, that has worked and produced results, that we're getting results. You know, we had, you know, everything we did was, was positive. We got a lot of stuff that just didn't work at all. And I, I, I debated about dumping all that stuff out there on the forum. And um, I was like, well, if we put a lot of stuff out there on the forum that doesn't work, then that just kind of defeats the purpose. I'd, I'd rather try and give you the stuff that does work or that, that we feel that we know that works, you know, instead yeah. of hey, inundating the forum I, with a bunch of stuff that doesn't. Go yeah, ahead. And that, in, in that line of thinking uh, where you spend all that time experimenting on, on your 78 acres with, with different types of equipment, is that where you came to the realization that the type of cameras and game cameras and infrareds and stuff that, that is prolific in the research community these days are basically useless? Infrared question wasn't answered, in our, our perspective, wasn't answered until 2003. We still okay. had infrared cameras out there. And in some ways, and I, I've, you know, I can talk about it now or talk about it later, in some ways infrared can be used to your advantage, uh, namely with the infrared chemical light sticks um, as attractants and as curiosity devices because we really have to play off these, these creatures' curiosity. And that's, we, we really don't have any other weapon other than, than attacking their curiosity, and that's where we have done a lot of work on and had a lot of good results but had a lot of just, you know, plain old nothing happening. Um, results too. Uh, but I think that as researchers as in general, we need to attack that situation and attack it with uh, as much furor as we can because that is that is their true weakness, is their curiosity. Well, you say you, you got started in 2000 with your group and, mm -hmm. and you were talking about learning the difference in whether the infrared was going to work by 2003. At mm -hmm. what point, at what point after you guys got this started, did you get uh, your first significant proof that, that led you to believe that you were approaching this the right way, and what was that proof, the first significant proof that you got in, in your you know, uh, experiments? Early 2002, um, we had uh, bought our first um, night vision piece of equipment, um, and we utilized it. Uh, in an area that had a pond, there's a, a large pond, and eventually we ended up utilizing that area as the, for the hog pen experiment, which I think a lot of you probably read about on the forum. Yeah. Um, but in the same area, we uh, was actually able um, to watch uh, targets move across the field into the brush line um, that seemed to be following uh, deer at a, a 
several deer move through the area, um, probably about two point. Uh, hang on, I'll look at the database. Uh, they followed the deer about uh, around two two and a half minutes, two two minutes and thirty five thirty seven seconds after um, or before they they the field view of the camera, and uh, we wasn't really all that close. Uh, we was within the camera was set up five and about in the stand. We used a lot of tree stands at that point. We don't don't use them as much as much as camera towers, but we had a cameras up in tree stands on the other side of the field, and uh, we was actually able to zoom in and uh, get some pretty good pretty good footage and pretty good um, um, resolution, and we. We looked at that from the standpoint of, and I was the first one to always say, I think we can get up real close. I, you know, I'm, you know, I was very, very much headstrong in that thought process until I saw this footage and and saw how far we were away and how close we could get just using technology. And that really, that galvanized a lot of our thought process and. Um, we we really started moving towards the the, the realms of ha being in a standoff mode, meaning distance away, and allowing our technology to do the observation for us, even if the technology is closer to the actual targets than we are. Um, so really, we started removing our human presence, us, further back from our observation process or our surveillance and allow the technology to either get close or to be able to go close, meaning zoom in and uh, become um, uh, locked onto those targets. Uh, that's kind of the point at which we really started changing our thought and saying, well, we really need to either do, you know, uh, either ramp up the process of uh, acquiring the technology to do these long-range observations or we need to either uh, come up with a, a plan to set the technology closer and allow us to, to set back, which, of course, put us into the the wireless area. And we tried all kinds of wireless. <laughs> I mean, from the Walmart to all the way up to, to me calling Cisco's director of, of uh, um, his, I think his title at that time was information technology. So I ended up, and we ended up really spending a lot of a lot of spending a lot of money on things that did work, and some, and a, which is about 20% of, and about 80% that just didn't fit the bill. It wouldn't hold up, uh, just wouldn't do what we wanted it to do. But we did a lot of uh, trial and error, and uh, kind of got it to a polished art today. Um, so you would say that the cornerstone. To, to a lot of your research, you know, other than the the, the definite blood and hair samples, the, the cornerstone is that thermal is the thermal imaging videos that you have, have obtained. Now that was that was night vision that I just discussed with the. Okay, the, okay, night that vision. That was night vision. That was not thermal. Mm -mm. Okay. That was uh, your your second generation night vision, which uh, you know was uh, expensive at that time. Um, but that's really that's really what the idea was. Uh, we shifted our thought process at that time to, to 
We need to remove us, the human contact, far and set it as far away from the targets or, or the the hopeful target area where the area where the targets would come through and use the technology to allow us to be out of the out of this the, the target area and allow the technology to remain in place and be able to monitor it in real time. That was that was very key because we observed this happening while you know, in real time. And it was very we thought it was very neat to be able to, to see the deer as they moved through. We we had no idea at that time that what was following them. We had no we had no idea. None. Which you can imagine how we reacted, but at the same time, we had to use that as as a as a a, a, a lynch point, um, a benchmark to say, okay, if we don't know what's moving around out there, how can we best find out what's moving around out there? And that's where we came into uh, re- doing the the seismic probes and using the the, the, the seismic uh, technology, uh, which came out of the, uh, the the security border area type uh, industry as well as the uh, Department of Corrections area because they use those to watch fences and fence lines. And uh, fences and fence lines, by the way, make great... Um, uh, trip line points for uh in these uh, seismic sensors because uh they have to they have to go across them or they can go around them um and that utilizes that technology well i mean they can be placed independently other than a fence line but it's very good to use those fence lines and to use the the seismic sensors on those fence lines because you can detect movement you can detect uh footfalls um even down down to the ones we're using, uh, we can detect uh, sector areas where we can actually um, say, okay, they're crossing at that point or they're moving to that point. And, uh, and doesn't your uh, d- doesn't the readings, uh, the information from those uh, seismic sensors go back to a computer and it tells you if it's a two-legged animal oh, yeah. or a four-legged animal? It, it, the the uh, the seismic sensors were, as I said, were originally in place for utilizing. Um, in the security area and in the correctional area, uh, the manufacturer of this gives you the ability to say to look at a, a seismic pattern to know whether or not it's a, a dog, a deer, you know, four-legged animal, or a two-legged uh, possible escapee or whatever. Uh, that is that's already a built-in piece that that fits our purposes like a charm. So it'll it'll tell you it'll let you know whether or not you're dealing with a, a four-legged footfall or or quadruped, or if you're dealing with a, a biped. Um, yeah, that's that's a really neat piece of software that it also incorporates through the database a timestamp that allows it to um, receive a timestamp from the time code generator, which locks all these events together. That's another important so, thing. So at the same time, so at the same time, you are monitoring the area with video, whether it be thermal or night vision or whatever. You'll get a timestamp if something walks through the area, and it, 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 you can line that up with the video and and put them put both together in the same spot. We have to remember that those are are pieces of evidence. 
and not only you have to th- you have to figure if those are electronic pieces of evidence, and they can be locked to uh, say casts made in those areas of footprints or hairs found in that area, which become a separate evidence component. So you're really starting to lock all these in- things down into uh, or incidents or if evidence points into a cohesive incident. How 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 think about think about in these terms? Um, how great would it have been during, let's say, uh, the the uh, Roger Patterson film, if we had a time code running on that, that we had a microphone attached to and heard to the footsteps, or maybe even the sensor patterns from the seismic uh, as it moved as it moved away, or even had to have been pulling down trees later on or maybe even vocalizing at that point being able to sectorize the uh, sound captures and all this being together. That would be a co- and then of course the tracks, if you know, indeed it was a you know, a, a real animal, the tracks or the hairs, it was collected now to have all these evidence points collected to a single timeline. And that is, I can't tell you how important that is. That is, in in the recreation of these incidents uh, for your incident report, I can't tell you how valuable that, that, that one little, those, you know, four numbers, two groups of two, uh, four groups of two, that I can't tell you how that is, I, I, I just have no words to describe how important that is. And the time well, code yeah. generator is not hard to get a hold of. It's not that expensive either. Uh, in, in the line of talking about this equipment and how, how far advanced the equipment being used is that, that's not being used by everybody else, you mentioned recently about using parabolic uh, recorders and, and microphones to triangulate where you would hear something, and you can actually pinpoint an exact spot where vocalization came from, so later you can go there and look for hairs or footprints. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, it's not an exact... When you say an exact spot, you need to give the preference uh, a, a little you know, disclaimer there that we, it'll get you to within a half an acre, and that's close enough. Okay. Okay. That's a half an acre, because an acre is, is, is not that big, It'll get you within a half an acre, even if it's in thick woods. It'll get you into you. You can definitely investigate where something was standing if it, if you had an idea within a half an acre. That's okay. that, yeah. That's mind you, that's only about twenty-one thousand square feet. So that gives you a little idea of, of what typically you can get. How well? How close it, 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 if you triangulate the vocalization coming from a certain half-acre area and it's in a field and you go to that area and you see one matted-down spot, well, then it's pretty easy to, to deduce that that matted-down spot is where it came from. Mm-hmm. That is correct. Um, and, and you have to be able to you have to be able to look at frequency ampli- and ampli- amplitude and duration. And you, you have to be able to process this information um, on a timely manner, especially if you want to be able to get observation in that area. Uh, we started out by using uh, six microphones mounted up on a, a, a four-legged deer stand. Uh, we started out with six of them, and we've later changed that to be nine because we get better um, 
use the word resolution, but we get better uh, triangulation data off of that. Um, and we'll set three of these up in an area uh, separated by a minimum of 600 feet, and it's best if they're separated by better than 1,200 feet, um, to listen to the area in a 360-degree pattern. And then once we receive a vocalization or a tree knock or a tree snap, anything in the area, those microphones will pick up a direction. Each tower will pick up a direction and we'll be able to take uh, using our uh, multi-track uh, recording software that we have and look at the frequencies and look at the amplification and we'll know because we have them, all the mics marked as to what uh, polar uh, degree area they're pointed in. And uh, we can, <coughs> excuse me, uh, take these towers that have been placed into an electronic map and a GPS coordinate and then draw a line from those towers through that polar area, the polar sector basically. And wherever those polar sectors cross, those, that intersection, is the spot that you need to go look at. You wow. can then place a GPS coordinate. This is not outside the expense of the microphones and the expense of the towers and the expense of, uh, the, expense of the, the communications technology and the batteries you can do this as a separate network. And I think uh, you could probably get it done for in the, the twenty dollars to $25,000 range as a separate network. But I'm going to tell you, it is the best thing that we ever come up with um, uh, because we're able to, to triangulate positions at tree knocks. We've been able to listen to tree knocks and find out their, that half-acre area and go looking and find out the impact where, where something had pounded the bark off of a tree. That's documented. Wow. Uh, we've had some uh, impressions that we've not castable, but definitely impressions of, of something walking away on two legs. Um, it's, it's, it's this stuff right here that we need to really... Uh, and, and I know that everybody thinks, oh, these guys are doing lots of stuff. They're spending all this money, but you can do so this with 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 not with if you had three three people three groups of people sitting out there in the woods listening with one or two of these microphones apiece you can do this manually for you know very minimal amount of money it just takes manpower and then once you get the direction the direction you have to plot these polar plots in and you can do that on a regular topo map just like we used to do in the army. And, you know, DW probably could tell you about that. Yeah. Man, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Anyway, uh, well, guys, can, can I interrupt here for a second? We need to play a couple of advertisements real quick. And okay. Then, then we'll come back and uh, we'll say, we'll let the lady say a few things and then we'll get back into this because, I mean, I know this is just some fascinating stuff and uh, everybody's just glued to the, the monitors at home, so... Let's uh, play a couple of these advertisements, get them out of the way, and then we can get back to what we're talking about. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Man, Ed, this is good stuff. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, are we out or are we? Hey, folks. Want to learn more about the MABRC and the research being conducted by its researchers? Then check out the official MABRC forums where all the MABRC members hang out and discuss their research. Not only that, but the MABRC 
site or forum. And the MABRC forum also maintains the largest sighting database ever assembled online and growing bigger daily. From galleries of newspaper clippings, hair samples, sketches, and more, you can spend hours just looking at the vast galleries hosted there. Chat rooms are provided so that you can interact with the researchers, asking real-time questions and getting real-time responses back. So hurry on over and join the forum today at www.mid-americabigfoot.com slash phpbb3. You won't be disappointed. information coming here and uh, coming out of Ed and his group and we can't say more than uh, we very much appreciate Ed coming on here and uh, talking about it. So, I'm uh, so happy that everybody else gets to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll let Ed continue on uh, and uh, everybody's listening, Ed, so go ahead. <laughs> well, okay. hey, Ed, uh, yeah. at, at, what, at what point did you graduate towards the, the thermal imaging cameras. Well, let's see. We started using thermal, oh, probably mid-2000, early 2003. Uh, low end, um, none of the higher end level stuff that we're using now. Uh, the lower end stuff that, we're, we're the kind of people who, I know it sounds like we just jump in and, and we, uh, you know, go for the, the gusto and buy the big thing first. But we we try the small stuff first. And a lot of times the small stuff works. It's the need. Um, we we would like to, you know, eventually as we disclose more of our uh, investigation logs and profiles that uh, people will start to see that, you know, we used a lot of lower end stuff, uh, stuff you can't even get in anymore. They don't make it. Okay. Uh, but that's, in, that's really when we started using thermal at that point. And uh, a lot of it was just go out and set it up and monitor it manually and record because we didn't tie that into the network yet. Uh, that came later. <coughs> uh, but then we found the, the ability to go ahead and tie that into the network, and it, it really made oh, a lot. Uh, I'm getting some background talking there. That's DW. I don't know if he's muted, not muted himself out or, or not. Oh, yeah, I'm still here. I was <laughs> I was off in my own little world right there. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. That, that's um, what happens when you're a blonde. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'll remember that the next time I make a blonde joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, that's kind of when we started using thermal. Um, and it was very rudimentary at the beginning, uh, but it, it was mostly manual and recorded on site uh, at position. So, uh, but we started seeing the need to pull that onto the network, and it probably wasn't until I'd say 
2004. I'd have to look at the notes to know when we actually started using it on the network, but it's in the 2004 time frame. And um, that's kind of how Well, I, I'd like to dangle a carrot out there for everybody. Could you just kind of just, just give us an idea how many how many videos do you have of these of these creatures? I can say that we have um, processed seventy. Let's see, probably seventy incidents, but I'll only disclose that we we probably get fifty-seven incident reports. So, fifty-seven instances of some sort of at least some sort of video type of evidence. And can and can you? Generally, just tell us what behaviors you have 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 on video that that would make us say, "Wow." Okay. Well, um, as you know, we're doing a documentary. I think everyone knows that. I keep saying that we're doing a documentary. You know, um, but we're going to do it not just one. We're really going to do it in three volumes, and um, because there's just too much data and too much information, and I'm not even sure that three volumes fit it. Um, I've kind of had to step back from that process. I don't know exactly what they're planning on in that area that the other guys are planning. But um, I would say probably in the volume two, maybe volume three arena, we'll, we will disclose the rock throwing video, or videos, I should say, um, where we have definite, definitely a, a something we can't explain throwing a rock. Or, or rocks, and that's with uh, night vision and thermal capture at the same time. Um, what about four by four mode? Four by four mode, we are. We would like to be able to disclose more about that, but we just really haven't been able to do, to target much in the four by four mode area. Uh, we do know that they do use it because. Um, so several of us have observed. I have not, but several in the group have observed them going into four by four mode. But I would uh, suspect within probably the next year, year and a half, we'll have that data. What um, have they said about the speed of these animals in four by four mode? Uh, they're very fast, incredibly fast. Almost, you know, you you wouldn't be in some who have seen them in four by four mode. And I know some of you have. Um, they are moving very quickly, and it's almost astonishing that they can change their position that quickly. But by the same token, they're very they're very daring in the fact that the even at night they'll move tree to tree if they know that they're in between you and them. If they can put that tree in between them, they'll do it at night too. So. For some, for an animal or creature, uh, uh, whatever you want to say these are, these creatures are, um, you really want to. I, I've seen so much, so much interesting behavior. I don't think I'm qualified enough to know, you know, what it means, and that's going to be for someone else that has that kind of knowledge um, when we do put this in front of them, and that day is coming. Um, I really would like to, to oh, uh, another thing before it escapes me, um, we, other video that we have acquired uh, through our surveillance is uh, vocal, 
vocalization of a several instances of vocalization of an animal vocalizing and was recording the sound. So that'll be a definite help to researchers and the the professional um, people who review and, and hopefully pick up where we leave off. Um, Are any of these vocalizations a mimicry of another animal? Uh, no, not to not any that we have surveillanced as we know. No, they're very specifically specific orientational sounds that they make that some are very very familiar to us that have been out there and listening and to you guys. And there's a couple of recordings out there that I would venture to say that someone has gotten a real good recording of other than us that has been out there floating around for uh, a while now. <clears throat> 94, I believe, would be a good reference point. But... Um, I, I want to. I, I wish I could just drop all this stuff out there and say, okay, here it is. But there's a procedure that we need to go through in order to make us. One of our back when we formed, I say formed our group. I wasn't really. It's not really a group. It's just a, a gentleman's agreement that we've been functioning on for a very long time. When we decided that we were going to do this project, and we decided that we were going to do it in a do it with the end game of bringing this to science, the scientific community. And that was really our focus, still is. Uh, the documentary was kind of a, a passing idea. But you have to remember, we, we germinated this back in the 90s. And technology and media flow has changed so much since then and now. And you know, I hate. I don't want to sound like I'm a commercial person, but that we have to be able to recoup some of our some of our costs and some of our investments. Um, sure, because it is considerable. But well, I in this line, I don't want to. I don't want to commercialize it either. That's that's the whole thing. And, I, and I'm and it's and it sounds hypocritical to say, oh, I'm going to put this to to the science scientific community, but I'm also going to do a documentary and hope I make money off of it. Well, it's got to come from somewhere. And now if, if by chance in a meeting that's going to take place next month, funds come from other places, that may be, there may be a shift. And I can't say that's going to be a, you know, definite. I don't even know what the, you know, what they're going to say. But um, that's, we have to be able to at least ca recapture our costs somehow. Well, I'd like to get into that uh, maybe a little later because uh, okay. everybody is aware of of the blood that was obtained from the barn area right. uh, and, right. and, and how that has played out. But before we get off the documentary, I, could you tell me, you, you explained to me one night on the phone how this documentary was going to be different than any other because it was going to have an additional... Uh, DVD that would have all of the scientific information on everything that was talked about in the documentary. Can you explain yeah. that? Yeah. Um, the, each volume of the documentary, as planned, will be about three hours long. The documentary itself is going to be three hours long, and that's for, for per volume. Um, but there's a second disc that we're going to include, and that is uh, all the unedited video, like from our uh, night vision cameras and thermal cameras, any, anything that's 
captured and discussed, as well as the electronic footfall data, um, research notes, uh, data, evidence collection, uh, video diaries, all that kind of good stuff will be placed on that disk as relating to what incident that we talked about in the documentary. I hate, and this is a pet peeve, so I'm going to get on my soapbox and I'll get off of it pretty quick. I hate documentaries who can't back their crap up. Okay, <laughs> or they leave you, or they leave you hanging. Okay, you know, I am so through with that. I'm off my soapbox now. I'll continue. <laughs> um, anyway, that's what that's what I, I think. Uh, and I, I'm a big fan of Don Keating. If you're going to make these 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 advances or these these extraordinary claims of extraordinary evidence then you're going to have to have or you're going to have to have extraordinary evidence to back them up and i firmly believe in that and that's why we're so careful as to when it gets put out there we want to have all eyes dotted and t's crossed and have our teeth brushed and ready to go so it's like i i know it's painful for some people and it's discouraging for some and i'm accept my apologies in advance but there's a method to our madness and all you have to do is take a look at how other things have been handled there, and you know that you know there is a, there is a method to our man, madness. And I hope that you know I don't have villagers at the door, you know, with the torches. But um, well, I'd like to, I'd like to throw this in if you don't mind, Ed. Um, okay. You know, you ever since you and I first started talking, you you preached to me that the devil is in the details, and that Absolutely. clearly show that clearly shows in what you've given us so far and what you're talking about tonight and the difference in what you guys have been able to accomplish where other people have fallen short. So as long as everybody is aware, eventually they are going to see all of this if they just be patient. I mean, there's no need coming on and demanding that they see this and demanding that they see that. It's going to come out. They're just going to have to be patient. Yeah, patience is, patience is a something. And, and you know, for and, and I don't mean to sound derogatory to any one specific, but, you know, for some of them, and I'm not really talking about the people on our forum, there's some people in other forums that are, you know, that get pretty blatant. And uh, I'm like, you know, if you wanted to count yourself as a researcher or even a, a educated skeptic, you would understand the principles of patience when it comes to a research program. And that's, you know, and it's very telling to, to their background or to even their intentions. So we really, we really want to be patient about how we put things on the table and how we present those because we want specific timeline to be, that timeline to, to be put forward because that timeline means a lot. And um, it's very telling to all our experiments and all our observations and, and, and incidents that that timeline is maintained because the timeline explains a lot about what's happening for, you know, today. You know, yet, and that's why we're starting with the, the documentary and the way we're doing it. Uh, the only thing that's going to be redacted from the data that is released with the documentary is the location. Any uh, GPS coordinate will be redacted. Any anything that will uh, basically, 
give rise to uh, someone being able to locate where this for our research area is areas are uh, or any other of our landowners that have been I just can't tell you how unbelievable they've been to us um, we've uh, we have vowed to be very protective of any of that information and, well, and uh, you know you know as well as I that uh, the, the easiest way to get information out in, in, in the world is to say, can you keep a secret? Right. Uh, and, 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 and I've got to tell you, I mean, I'm guilty of that. I mean, I've, I've called people and I've just, I've been so excited about this information. I call and I talk to them about it. But I've had people tell me, there's no way this is real. There's no way because there's no way they've been doing this for eight years and, I, and this is the first I've heard about it. You know, that, that is so naive because if they would just look at the, the, the details and the intricacies of, of your research, they they will see that that you guys have had your mm-hmm. eye on the on the end prize all along. You're only just now releasing it because you're getting close to the end. Basically, yeah, that's what what we you know that's our. I, I don't. I, I'm to the point to where it's like, if you don't believe it, fine. I'm 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 way okay with that. I, I mean, it and I don't I, I don't try and fight people to tell you, oh, it's a real thing because they'll find out eventually. Uh, yeah. And so I don't have, we don't have time to run around and say, oh, look at, you know, you know, convince, we're trying to convince um, people because eventually they'll find out. But um, that uh, it just, it's just wasted energy is the way we look at it. Um, if you well, are... It, could, could, could I get you to, to expound a little bit on nothing more that, that's already on the threads on the forum, and that is how we got to the point or how you got to the point where you're at now where things are really rolling forward at a pretty fast pace when it came to, you know, the blood work that was collected at, at a site, at, you know, at the barn and, and how that possibly may turn into a, a meeting coming up. Uh, well, the meeting's already scheduled, so it hasn't, it's already turned into a meeting, a three-day situation, three-day meeting with uh, several different people. Um, so, what you're 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 wanting me to talk about which part portion of? Tell me where you want me to go next, there, Randy. Well, uh, uh, how about uh, how about let's elaborate on uh, how we got the blood, or how you got the blood sample? If that, if we can talk about that. Uh, from the barn. Yeah, because there's there's some people in the chat room asking, you know, <laughs> if you could elaborate on that. Okay. Um, well, uh, real quickly, we have a, a couple of research pe- per- partners that we have down there in southeastern Oklahoma. Um, they got called to a site that, um, without us knowing about it, um, and they, when they went through and looked at the site, uh, the incident of this of this barn. Um, they called us and they said, uh, "You need to drop." This is matter. Of, uh, give a time reference. This is actually back when we were doing the second crybaby trailer experiment. So we was actually in the process of setting that up when we got this call. Uh, and in some ways, that's why the crybaby experiment didn't fire off as well and get as good a result as I'd hoped. But that's okay. We'll re- we will. We will try that again. Um, 
they have found a, um, uh, an area of, of great disturbance of uh, with tracks and um, blood uh, drops and uh, bloody prints, handprints that uh, was really really quite unexplained when we got onto the scene. And as soon as we, uh, as three of the members that were down there that got there before I did, um, when they saw that, they called me and they said, um, we need to really do do this as a focal point. Of, of We need to declare a focal point on this. And it's like, uh, that's when I started calling other people that needed we needed help from. Um the the blood that was acquired from that site and I don't think I have enough time to cover the processes of how to collect that blood, but I will say that uh in your collections you need to document through a video diary or an audio diary, preferably a video diary. You need to take plenty of evidential evidential pictures with uh photo numbers in them and and as rulers and uh, and all that kind of good good stuff you need to get that into your pictures and into your your video uh, and uh, <clears throat> as it was preached to me by someone um, wear your gloves when you collect your evidence period no matter I don't care if you're picking up a raccoon pile okay if you're gonna if you're going to collect it as evidence, wear your gloves. Plus, if you're going to if you're going to to hopefully come across evidence that may be of a um, uh, genetically testable uh, that means blood, tissue, hair, or anything that you know that may provide a, a, a DNA sequence from or, or any kind of evidence like that. Um, you need to decide on how you're going to collect. Um, there are several methods before collecting blood. Um, they, there's a company that makes the uh, genetic, what they call them, a uh, genetic pickup. And it's basically a, a, a sterile swab, cotton swab, uh, and it has a plastic container at the end of it that snaps closed. We use these. Because otherwise, if you because you have to use in order to some to collect certain um, types of blood as as far as being dried, um, you'll need to resaturate it with um, sterilized water, and you can get those in ampules too from the forensic companies. Um, you uh, moisten that tip, and you'll basically roll it into. Um, the droplet of blood and pick up um, portions of that blood sample. And that's one sample. Uh, if Depending on the size of the blood droplet or how much blood is there, uh, you may do and should do at least six of them like that. Uh, and if, But if you don't do uh, or don't have these uh, genetic pickups, uh, then you'll have to take those blood, those swabs, and put them into an area where 
stick them down into styrofoam or whatever and allow those samples to dry. If you have a uh, blood pickup like this, then that sample can remain in that plastic container dry, but it's, uh, it's still protected from contamination. You can set that aside and, and uh, barcode it or what, however you want to process that through your database. Um, but then the next step to collect the collection of blood is uh, blood scraping. And that should be done with a flat uh, scalpel. That flat scalpel, um, you should, scra should scrape inside the actual droplet itself, not from the outside in, but from inside that, that droplet uh, to maintain uh, that, or to keep you from scraping uh, contaminants from the outside of that droplet into the actual sample you're trying to collect. Put that in a protective tube and uh, repeat the process as many times as you need to. Um, that's how we collected that, those particular blood samples. Or any blood sample for that for that matter. Um, we've sent can you, give, can, can you can you give our listeners just a little insight as uh, how uh, how the animal possibly cut its cut itself and oh, yeah. all of that you know the, the the hay and the lady caught it in the barn and all that. Uh, it, it apparently, and I use the word it because I don't know what it is. Um, it apparently had snagged its leg, which would be its right leg, um, on several uh, wood screws and nails uh, that had been exposed when it had ripped off the outside uh, galvanized metal on the door at the back of the barn. Uh, it had ripped that off previously as it went in, and then when it was disturbed and it ran out, that had Evidently, it's when that happened, because it must have been leaving in a very, very large, quick hurry. And uh, that's when it had either it has either had cut its or snagged its leg when it left, and it must have cut part of its upper forearm, because there's definitely indications of blood coming from another source, all on the right-hand side of the body. Uh, so do you think it was going out in 4x4 four four mode? I don't think it was 4x4. Four four. I think it was leaving upright, uh, judging from the prints that were cast and, and surveyed in. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was leaving on two legs, but I believe when it was leaving, it was leaving very quickly. And... Uh, as far as the samples go, we have um, delivered the, delivered these samples along with some other samples that were collected at a, another incident, and hoping to get these cross-typed and cross-matched um, at uh, basically ten. Or there's 11 labs involved. We're paying for the testing on 10 of these labs, and one lab is testing them uh, on their dime, and that lab is actually. Uh, testing them uh, because and the only reason they're accepted to, our, to do these tests was because of the way we collected our samples and they viewed that in the uh, video diaries that we presented to them. 
That's the only reason that they accepted these samples for testing. Now, did and they actually say that they they have received tissue samples in, in the past, but they've never looked at them seriously because of the way it was collected? That's good. That's exactly right. So, I'm I, I, in my postings, I I always try and say, you know, this is how you know what we used, and uh, you have to show you have to show these uh, professionals that are going to do this testing how it was collected because they don't want to test something that you know. Maybe so the results may be so skewed that you know you're adding another layer of fog to this already this mystery already. So you know, and if you can present quality collection data on your evidence, then that gives you to stand on. Okay, um, that's very important, and that and I don't care if it's a hair. If it's a group of hair or, you know, whatever it is, you need, we all need to collect the, this, the, the collection data is just as important as the evidence itself. That's what I'm trying to get out of my mouth. <laughs> really get, get down to the, to the thought process of, okay, you know, what, would, what do we need to do to convince a lab to take our sample, and what if we do get a lab to take our sample, then you know, if you pay three, four, five thousand dollars on a test, then what good is the test result if you you know, uh, I, you know, put it in a, a hamburger wrapper or whatever? <laughs> you know what I'm you see what I'm saying? It's like yeah. what good what good is the evidence that you collect if the collection process is already tainted? You know, Can you tell it, people about the secondary evidence, the the pig carcass? That we're not ready to discuss publicly. Okay, okay. So we're not going to discuss that publicly just yet. All right. Um, well, what about uh, uh, you said that this is not your only blood sample. You actually have gotten samples that, that in conjunction with a video. Okay. The barn... Um, the barn evidence in its entirety was collected without any electronic surveillance or any electronic tied together evidence out that, that um, was there. We walked onto a scene of something that ran out of a barn and, and cut itself in at least two places that produced some rather large tracks with a rather large gate. That's all we had. Okay. What we need to do is take that uh, that data set evidence that we're getting from these tests, couple it with the data set evidence that we're testing on something that was a collected while it was under electronic surveillance with footfalls and sound uh, location and all the other uh, evidence collection devices that we have with, and if we can tie those things together in a data set and we get a match, then we have something. We've just cross-referenced two different instances with genetic data. That, that means something. That means a whole lot. Yeah. And right now, that process may take 9 to 12 months to complete because we're going to be doing a much deeper series of tests to find out 
what uh, with the additional samples that we have uh, from our control pool um, as to find out exactly what's going on with these sites and what we've hey, can collected. You tell, can, can you tell our listeners what the uh, what the geneticist and the zoologist and the biologist said when they said that if they get a second control group of this blood tested and it came out the same, they said that you they'd had their attention or something? As it was disclosed in this meeting, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this from the standpoint of when we talk to them, and I'm being them being the professionals that are doing this testing, uh, a number of them wouldn't allow us to record the conversation, and that's perfectly within their right. Um, but this group that we went to and uh, they did allow us to record the conversation. That will that conversation will be released when that incident report comes up in the next, you know, whenever that volume set comes out. But I will say this: we have got the attention of some very, very good and very qualified biologists and geneticists that I don't think anyone else has ever got to happen. But I just want to say that we can, we can, when we get ready to put it on the table for everyone to view, they'll, you will understand why. But they, these, they want, in order for those professionals to cover their butt, in case something doesn't pan out, then they want to be able to have all the ammunition that they can to bring it to their peers because, you know, sadly, there's a lot of cynics out there. <laughs> you know, there's a, it's a cynical world, and in this community, there are people in it who are, are cynical to begin with. And a cynic is a lot different than a skeptic, and we, that's a conversation for another time. But... To be able to bring some of this forward, they have to be able to be assured that they have all the ammunition they need. And we were, from our point of view, we said in that meeting, we have presented enough evidence that should their test confront these cross-comparative matches, then they, then they have, we have, being our group, and hopefully the Bigfoot community in general, that we have their complete complete attention and we will be they will be listening to what we have to say. So that's kind of a long roundabout way of saying uh we get the the, the test results that uh we're testing for right now, they will step forward and they will listen with a completely open ear as to what we have to present in the near future. Um, wow. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. I was surprised that they said that and I don't think they really re- really really remembered that we were recording that conversation. So I'm uh, I'm very I'm very hopeful and I, I'm you know I'm I'm ready to put a lot of this stuff out 
but there's a very definite process we got to go through to get it put out there in an order that it we we get the most out of what we've we've uncovered, and that's that's a painful thing sometimes to have to say, well, we're gonna have to step back and you know have have patience for another nine to nine months to twelve months, but it'll yeah. be worth it on the other end. Is there any way we could uh, we could segue into talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming infrasound project? Uh, yeah, let me let me interject here real quick, guys. And uh, Sharon's got a question, and I'd I like to see if we can get her in here to uh, ask it real quick. Uh, you there with us, Sharon? Oh yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I've been biting my tongue over here, so just trying to be so quiet and patient. Um, first of all, thank you very much for being here. And secondly, I just want to give you a little plug for your documentary because your reports are so intense and so detailed that I, you know, I'm blonde this week. So uh, when I read those, sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. So and I need the pictures. So I know the documentary is just going to be like fascinating. I'll be on the edge of my seat watching it. You know. Um, so that's that's good for everyone else out there who um, needs pictures. <laughs> okay. Okay. And also, um, I was going back to the vocalizations. I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. Now, you say that that the one vocalization at circa 1994 is similar to what you have had there, and. I mean, I've heard a lot of recordings and people doing imitations. How much of that is accurate? Um, as is accurate from the recording. Like say, like the Ohio grass man, the the whoop that he does. Is that even close? Uh, probably. Go ahead. Uh, okay, I'm getting a feedback. I don't know where it's coming from. Uh, I'm sorry, there, Sharon, but you kind of broke up. You said something about the Ohio grass man. Right. Yeah, he does okay. a whoop there, and I just wanted to know exactly how accurate is that because most of us out here only go by what we hear on the Internet, you know, and then we hear something in the woods. It could be – who's washing clothes right now? I hear a, long, a washing machine going or something. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is. But what I'm saying is that we only go by what we right. hear on the Internet. How yeah. much of that is accurate? Where, you know, I where are we at there? Okay. Here's a here's a frequency that everyone needs to listen to, and that is 722.05 hertz. 722.05 hertz and anything to the 25 hertz and above and 25 hertz and below. If you got something in that area that's a very tight pattern, then you're on to something. You're, okay. You need to you need to take heed to that. And uh, okay. that's, that's something that's not posted yet. I haven't even posted that, so that's. I there gotta, you go. Huh? There's Can I ask one more? One more about the vocalizations. Now, yes. have you only heard like whoops, or have you heard like something like a conversation? Um, like the samurai chatter. Bring that. Bring that. Um, we did an experiment involving a remote uh, campsite where we played conversational German and French and. Uh, uh, Spanish and all kinds of uh, other languages to include Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the most response, vocalized response, when we were playing the Japanese, convers- the conversational Japanese. 
Right. So that's an interesting, interesting that you should bring that up. It's very, very good because I had almost forgotten about that particular situation, that particular incident. Um, right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, but remember, 722.05 hertz and 25 plus or minus that. You need to start. Every, everyone needs to start and, and use those frequencies as uh, uh, a filter to to know if you're within those vocalized response. Uh, okay, balance. and as and as an amateur researcher, what would you use to measure that um, uh, resonance and all that stuff? The frequency. Uh, thank you, you. Okay, you can get you can get a, a PC a spectral analyzer program. That will do that. Um, I, uh, there's a Pro Tools. Uh, okay. I think I think Adobe Audition would do it. And okay. the first part of your statement, Sharon, you're speaking. You're you're an amateur researcher just like we are. Where okay. we don't consider ourselves any better than what anybody else is out there doing. We just do it differently. Right. And there's no, you know. So it's one well, amateur to another. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you very much. Mm. Okay, now Randy, did you lose your train of thought? Uh, what what was I thinking? What was I talking about? <laughs> you you was wanting to get into uh Oh yeah, uh actually upcoming... I'd like to, you know, we're, we're about 35 minutes away towards the end of the show and I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking about the 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 experiments that Ed has been involved with with the infrasound uh and and how he talked to an entomologist. Uh mm-hmm. you know, cuz I've always said that the reason insects are reported to go quiet. It has to be infrasound. But so I just like I just like to talk about that for a little bit. Well, we uh, in um, 2006 we went down and, and I say we is about five of us. Uh, what what promoted or what created this this eventual meeting between us and this entomologist? We we was asking, okay, why do Insects do go silent when during a, a reported uh, creature being in the area or sighting or whatever. What what could do that? So we went down a little, kind of a shallow list. We said, well, maybe it's a pheromone or maybe it's a, I don't know, a, a, a smell or whatever. And then it occurred to us that, well, maybe it could be ultrasound. We didn't really think about infrasound at that point. Um, and we kind of went along that line. Uh, we said, well, maybe we need to start calling around and talk to an insect person about, you know, how sound affects insects. And um, we got someone to, to talk to us. We drove um, down to Oklahoma City, and um, uh, we ended up meeting with them. And uh, the conversation was never really about Bigfoot per se, and you, and here's another thing: you have to pick your you have to pick your battles in this research, okay? As to who you talk to, you know, if you're going to run out there and say, "I'm looking for a big hairy guy," you know, you're probably going to get calls from, you know, uh, whoever, but uh, they're going to look at you weird. But you pick your battles and how you approach people with a discussion of whatever you're discussing about this particular um, mystery. Um, but we talked to them about. Uh, sound and how that affects insects, and we got a very good de- detailed uh, face-to-face discussion, and um, had some information that he gave to us, and uh, 
he said you don't need to you can look at the ultrasound area, but you also need to look at those very low frequencies and um, he called them sub substrate. Is that what he said? Sub subsonic substrate subsonic or substrate type not straight because that's a physical geotherm, but a sub subsonic sounds because they react to those equally as well as high ultrasound and those are also both ends of that spectrum are, are very uh, they're susceptible to so we went okay and with that in mind we were like well you know we probably need to you know we have plenty of ultrasound ultrasonic stuff which would be you know uh, motion detectors and stuff like that um, so we tried the ultrasonic stuff that didn't produce uh, the dampening effect that we got using the ultrasound because uh, we had to have an ultra an, an ultrasound emulator constructed because you, you just don't go down to Walmart and find one, okay? So it cost them money to get that done, and um, we put that out there, and, and this is in the summertime, you know, when the locust, you know, we had some locusts and stuff and crickets and everything else. Um, and we started shifting through spectrum, the spectrum of the infrasound, the low sound, low end sounds, and uh, we started striking frequencies that, at basically 400 watts, they would start. There's a dampening effect. The 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 you started receiving a lot of silence from the forest, and um, we documented those fe- those frequencies and uh, put them in our notes kind of like batted this around a bit, you know, as to whether we needed to pursue it. And that led into um, several incidents which were posted not too long ago um, of heat targets being located and then us emulating sounds to those heat targets in the infrasound range, which led to human frequency responses from those heat targets. In, in that we as humans can hear them. And over those previous incidents, uh, there's no way for us to prove at this point that, you know, that these creatures were emulating or responding in infrasound in any way. But, you know, hopefully that will change when we, we do the experiment uh, in um, Memorial Day and also hopefully other incidents that would precede that experiment from the location. Well, will, will, will that involve the, uh, the, the technology that's being developed by the MIT graduate for, for those studies? Not at the test, it won't. Um, the, where that microphone and that sensor or that array, however that gets developed out, uh, that's going to be utilized when we uh, are in observation of other heat targets that we can emulate uh, infrasound in a burst, and hopefully get a response back in the infrasound range. Now, should that happen, that's not saying that these creatures use it for communication. That could be some sort of defensive posture that they're trying to assert back to uh, whatever was, you know, if they if they see us or if the emulator is sitting in a blind or whatever. Uh, however we decide to to set that 
um, set that location. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that's to, to know whether or not they're communicating in infrasound. That's going to be for someone that's at a higher pay grade than me. So <laughs> um, that's you know uh, we we just need to know if we can affect them with infrasound and get them to respond in infrasound. If that's the case, then that gives um, you know the the professional people a basis to start with. Well, as uh, you and I were talking, I, I was thinking that let's say you can you can find a specific sound wave that you can get them to move with, then you can actually direct their movement using sound waves. Well, there's a there's a there got convention, but you also have to understand something too about how animals sound sensitivities go. And I'm not I'm talking in general. I'm not talking specifically about what we're we're looking at. Um, you don't want to inundate the, the the area with sound because then you're going to drive those animals out. Um, yeah. Doesn't matter whether it's high frequency or low frequency. Uh, and that's that's the one thing we want to be very careful of is that we don't over push. And uh, we started out using a 400 watts on our emulator. We actually have dropped that down in recent times to about 175 watts. Uh, what we're going to be shooting at the participants of this uh, experiment will be in the 225 to 250 watt range, um, and we figured that if uh, if Randy would do it, um, then he could be our tester to see how high we could push these infrasound waves. If you would hold Randy a Jiffy Pop popcorn thing, <laughs> and, uh, and and when it starts to pop. Then we probably ought to turn it down. <laughs> well, well, I will be under video surveillance, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'll be watching. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of what our hope is, and it may come out that they respond at all, but we will have answered a question. Right. The whole thing about research is not. It's just about. It, it, it's just as much important to find out what doesn't work or or works as as it is as important to find out what doesn't work. Um, yeah, we, if we find out that they don't respond in infrasound, then we have spent a lot of time and money and effort. But we've answered a question, and we've answered it scientifically. So we don't need to expend any more time, research, or or supposition about oh well that you know. You know, we know they do. We well, well now we don't. We don't. They don't. And and you know, um, you know, I, and, and that's like bursting people's bubble. But you just have to, you just have to accept if you're going to be a researcher, and I mean a true researcher, and I don't mean some of these people who uh, approach this, this subject cynically and you know reject everything out of hand. If you if you're going to be a researcher, you're going to have to accept that things, some things don't work, some things don't work, and if you're a big, uh, you know, uh, proponent of, you know, infrasound working, you're going to have, if it works out that they don't respond back, you're going to have to let that go. And well, you know, there's a, there's, that's a hard thing for people to do, and we're going to have to, we're just going to have to do that if that is, you know, that does come to pass. 
Well, so. since this since this radio show can be downloaded in the future, there could be a lot of people listening to this show who are not that into research, don't really know about what, and this may be the first they hear about research, and, and so it could be new to them. So I'd like to tell them that uh, not only is it reported multiple, multiple times during an encounter that insects sometimes go quiet, it's also reported about pe- people feeling bad, feeling like they've that like there's a, a, a telepathic voice telling them to leave the area, uh, uh, you know, a feeling of uh, overwhelming fear and, and those type of things. And just to let people know that the military in the past has worked with using infrasound as a riot control and crowd control, and, and it uses those same sounds, which makes people feel nauseous and, and needing to vacate the area. So there may be something to it uh, as far if that's what you feel like when you're around one of these animals and insects go quiet. You know, it, it's highly possible that, that it may be an infrasound. Yeah, it's possible, but there's no way to prove that until we have, we, as far as our group is concerned, we've completed our experience, then I could spend, you know, I'm on the fence. I'm very much in the middle um, to, to whether they're, they're communicating or using it as a defensive tool. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, this is, this, is all, this is what we do as researchers trying to answer a question. You know, as to whether it's, a, you know, the answer you hope that you come out with or you've proven to yourself that, you know, hey, it just isn't working. It just doesn't work like that. So we just have to be, we try, we, we have to be as centered as we can as researchers. I guess that's the best way to put it. Uh, accept what works and accept what doesn't work. Because if, we, if we're out there doing the same thing over and over again that ain't working, why are we doing it? Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, in that line of thinking, uh, somebody was asking about uh, any particular uh, odors or scents that, that really brings these, these creatures in. And I know that you've mentioned on some of your threads, on some of your uh, projects, you've got several baits that have been very effective. Can you can you uh, explain yeah. some of those? Uh, cabbage and uh, uh, coarsely ground cabbage and uh, coarsely ground uh, garlic, mix it together, hang it up in a um, a fishnet bag or a, um, you, know, you can use pantyhose. Um, <laughs> go go <laughs> ahead, Randy. Go buy some pantyhose. I really want you to. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, hang it up in there. And but when you grind it, don't put you know drain it really well. Uh, don't. Uh, do it like within the 24-hour period before you go out there. Don't let it be much older than that. You want that kind of uh, aroma to hit the air. Also, um, this is not in the thread, but bok choy works. If you use bok choy and garlic. That also uh, also is a good attractant. Um, beef liver and a liquid smoke. Excellent. Um, Stay away from uh, stay away from the 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 scorched flower. It's uh, just don't. That's the best one. There's several more out there. Aggressive. It it promotes some aggressive behavior that you really don't want to be around. Wow. Unless you really want to be around. I mean, I mean, big hairy guy screaming at you, throwing things. But um, just the best ones that I've we've ever used is the the 
coarsely grated cabbage and the coarsely grated. Get the elephant garlic, that big old. And if you if if you you know guys, if you don't know what elephant garlic is, ask your wife. She'll be able to direct you to it. I'm sure. But it's a big. It's like a. It's like a clove of garlic on steroids. Okay. <laughs> uh, grind it up. Put it all in there. Mix it together and put it up in there, and then hang these from your, your camera stands or your, your wherever you're baiting to. Um, and put uh, when you're taking them to the field, uh, put them in the ice chest, much like all your other stuff, but keep that chest sealed until you get to your bait station, and then remove it and put it up there. So I know a couple people uh, have been using that, and they uh, took it out of their, their um, uh, ice chest, where they're actually camping at, and they they've uh, took it with them, um, and uh, that's probably not the best way to do it. That just take take that ice chest with you if you can, um, and release this that odor from your bait station. Because what about the? I, I have heard you mention the breast milk. Oh yeah, uh, Kelly. Uh, I can't remember her last name. She's with the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society, and, and there was a discussion on Steve Cole's show last year and uh, about attractants, and we got into a discussion about breast milk, um, which is not, you know, people go, oh, well, it's kind of the same thing. Well, not really when you consider breast milk has hormones in it as well. So, And your primate pheromones, because guess what we are? Uh, yeah, we're we, yeah, we're uh, you know, we've taken breast milk and uh, sprayed it around uh, certain experimental areas, and had really good results from that as an attractant. But here's a here's another one that if you take original Dawn dishwashing soap and uh, mix mix it uh, in the proportions that I think it's. Uh, I want to say it's like a quarter, quarter, quarter of a cup, or I can't remember what it was exactly. Quarter of a cup to the rest of a big quarter of water, in a spray bottle, and spray it along your fence line. That, uh, or a or a fence line that you're watching, put it under observation and surveillance. Um, that seems to really attract them to to that situation. I don't know why. I, I can't answer that question because we sprayed it on trees to no good results. Uh, we sprayed it on tents to no good results. But something about that fence line that they seem to track down through that odor, that's, that's a, it's kind of a 70% shot, maybe a 60% shot. But uh, cabbage and garlic, can't beat it. And liver with liquid smoke. Well, now Ed, I, I do so got one question. Okay. Uh, have you ever tried using uh, honeysuckle or honeysuckle scent? We've never tried that, but I've, I've, um, we have not been in an area. In many of our research areas, we don't have a native, uh, any honeysuckle that we've had. I know there are in some places in the state that have naturally growing honeysuckle. Um, that's something we've never tried. Maybe maybe that's something we'll uh, endeavor to try. Um, but we've never we've never tried the honeysuckle, no. Yeah, we, we actually tried it 
during the January expedition along with uh, all that bacon grease, so we, we couldn't really say if it was if that was what attracted the Bigfoot or all that bacon grease, because you could smell the bacon grease about two miles away from camp. Right, right. So. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's an attractive bacon greases, too. We we just haven't delved a lot into bacon grease because we're trying to, we found other things that work just as well or maybe better. But bacon grease is the always promoted activity as well. Yeah. So we, we have, we've noted activity with that as well. Um, but that's kind of where we're at on that. So you hear that, Randy? Memorial Day weekend, you're getting doused with bacon grease again. Yep. <laughs> Hard fun. That way, that way we can watch you on the uh, the thermal getting chased by Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> I always want, want to see the Jiffy Pop popcorn pop. So. <laughs> uh, can you feel it, Randy? Can you feel it? Do you feel different? Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I don't know. I I just hope that somebody's got my back. If that if, if those infrasound experiments are it brings something in behind me. Yeah. Run, Randy, run. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have your back, Randy. I'll be all the way back at the trailer. <laughs> so, but, man, it, I, Ed, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and talking about all this stuff. I mean, I, I think a lot of people's heads are spinning right now just from all this. Uh, man. Well, you get, you're giving people something to look forward to. I, I don't... Really, I know that's great that, you know, I, I always want positive positive motion in whatever we do. I want people to be motivated to do their research, to use some of what we've done, couple it with what they have, their knowledge, and continue to advance the collection of data. Because I'm going to say this, and I'm going to make some people mad. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do it. Here's the deal. No one person, and I don't care who they are, who they think they are, who they hope to be in the future, is going to answer this question completely and totally. Not going to happen. That's just not realistic. Yeah. It's going to take everybody, everybody's contribution that is who, who accepts the principles of collection of evidence and accepts the principles of promoting centered uh, uh, and analysis on that evidence that is going to answer this question. I don't care who you are, if you put $50 a year into it or if you approach the, the level of putting a, you know, a million and a quarter in it a year. That is it doesn't matter as long as the evidence, the analysis on that evidence is quality. I don't care what it is. And as long as you're as long as you're taking away that armor, right? And we all have had to develop thick skins. Okay, do not let anyone dissuade you from doing what you're doing because they have done nothing but you know. They've done nothing but sit behind the computer and type crap about people. Okay, there are people who sit behind these the computers and do these piece. They're, they're analysts, and that's great. And more power to you guys because we got them on the forum here too. More power to you because 
we do we have time as field field researchers to plow through some of that? No, we don't. And that's something that's going to be very important in the near future. Some of these some of you guys out there who have the time to sit behind those PCs and look at things from their view is going to become very important as we proceed forward. Well, hey, before we uh, – we're really getting close down to the final minutes. We know we're down to 10, 15 minutes. Uh, okay. it, have, have you had any experience in, your, in the past eight years of any opposition or any flack from any uh, government agency, any uh, state agency, anything like that in what you do? Nope. In, in any of your haven't areas, had, you haven't come up? I haven't hit any snags as far as like a government agency or a federal agency or state agency or anything like that. We haven't had any issues because we're on private property. It would be different if we're on public land, I'm sure. But yeah. we've we've been on private property either owned by ourselves or our families or uh, some of those wonderful landowners that we let that let us do what we do, because um, if it's without without those landowners, you know, I guarantee you we wouldn't have some of the evidence that we have right now. Uh, we just simply flat down wouldn't. Um, but I mean, I, I we've had other people try to say the word hijack, but uh, tried to scope in on areas and uh, met with rather devastating results. Uh, but, we're, you know, you always got to keep your eye out. That's why we keep our, our location secret, and that's with all of us. That's all of us keep our, our research areas confidential just by the nature of the, the work that we do. Just to throw something in there, uh, you know, earlier you was talking about, you know, we all need to chink away at things. Uh, my favorite analogy about that is uh, we got this big old huge puzzle and everybody has their own little piece of the puzzle that they can add to get the big picture. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and that's what the MABRC has been about since we started. You know, let's share the information, let's get that big puzzle put together and let's see what we end up with. Yeah. So, well, i got to tell you where I'm at right now and when I first got into this, I mean, I went through about three years of just very, very excited. Uh, the beginnings of my research and then and then the, the incredible encounter that I had just kept me on the edge of wanting to get in the woods constantly. And it seems like in the past couple of years, it, it, it's kind of uh, lagged a little bit. Uh, it, it seems like we weren't really breaking any new ground. And what, what Ed, what you're doing for me right now is you're reigniting the excitement that I felt when I first started because I really feel like this is this is the the, the tip over point to to where it's going to be some big changes from this point on. Well, I I don't know. I never I never assume anything. I, I and you know as well as you over our conversation, um, Randy, that I try to push and be very centered. I don't try and. I don't get real excited. I don't get real down. I try to stay right to the center, and that's sometimes that's a hard thing to do. But um, we're we just need to, like I said earlier, we need to to step away from the things that haven't worked and have continually showed us that they have not worked, 
and step forward and go forward with some of the things that we like to try or, or have gotten results with, not just with us, but with other people, or even anyone else that has any other ideas. No idea is, is a bad idea. I mean, because that idea might germinate something else that, did, that's, that, that becomes a killer, pro, killer tool to use. So it's, you can't just say, oh, that's just a stupid idea. I, don't, I, I just don't want to say anything about it. Speak it. <laughs> okay, put it down. Put it on the forum. It may not get looked at for a year and a half, two years, but then all of a sudden some of these wonderful analysts that we have go through there and pull this stuff out and start saying, well, you know, why don't you try this because this was posted here and that was posted there and there's your results there. You know, go do this. And we all of a sudden we're off on a, you know, a very productive uh, um, next step, next evolutionary step in what we're doing. I mean, no data, no piece of information is a bad piece of information. you just got to hold on to it and then have a way to reference it. So yeah. that's what that that's what these wonderful analysts that we have on the forum, and I mean that truly, that's what you guys have to start looking at, how to pool, get that, to mine out that information and say, okay, well, there's a link there. There's a, there's a relationship here. You know, look at that angle. And that's where we really will start to make some good strides because uh, I wrote... I wrote a 382-page plan for this meeting that I'm going to in February for the high, for the Horizon Project, which we haven't had time to talk about, but something tells me Randy's going to twist my arm and say, you need to come back on and talk about it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but that, that, that's, that's the level of the detail that I had to go down to 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 put in front of these people. And right now it's under revision and there's a, I got a couple people in the group that are saying, you know, why don't you just, can you give me the Reader's Digest version? Okay. <laughs> they don't want to read it. And, that, and I understand it. It's a lot of reading and it's a lot of stuff in there. But when we get ready to go do this project, cross our fingers, when we get ready to go do that project, by God, we're going to have a plan. Now, some of the best well-intended plans Go into the crapper at the first shot, and I understand that. I come that you know, that's just yeah. something that's been pounded into my head. But you also have to have a way to deal with. Okay, what do we do next? And that's exactly what's in the plan, and that's what's coming with this plan for the residence project. That's going to be. I have gone through five different attempts on that and thrown all of them away, but just. Once I get to rolling on that, I'll really post that out there. My whole point being with the with the Horizon project is that if we can get it funded and we can get it uh, get it going and deployed, um, there's going to be people that are going to step up and say, "Okay, finally, there's a serious effort, and it is a scientific effort, and that's where all of us, and that's." From the guys and the the you know the the research center guys, the members of the of the research center and the members of the forum are hopefully, with any luck, will be a, a big part of because uh, I'm getting tired and we're getting tired. Um, we're I want to I'm going to 
turn one of these days, I'm going to turn to Darren and I'm going to say, handle it, and I'm going to leave on a two-year vacation. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> Don't you do that to me now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm but, serious. I'm, I'm just going to... i got to take a couple college years. courses on technology first. <laughs> hey, oh, no, I'm glad you brought that up, Randy, and that is, and I told you about this, so I'm going to say this so everyone else hears it. Don't get lost in this fog of this technology fog, please. Don't. And it's hard. I have to fight it. We all have to fight that. Um, technology is a great thing. Technology allows us to look at these feeds, and it, it'll, it'll detect motion automatically on virtual trip lines. Okay, that's great. But don't get, don't lose yourself in the, the information that is coming in. Um, and we have to fight that all the time because we got 57 feeds normally coming in. It's less now because of the storm. We had to, to take the thermals down. But when you got that kind of data sets coming in and you you're, you don't have to monitor them because they will trip and send you an alarm, but you have to you have to be able to say, okay, take three steps back and go, okay, really what, what significantly happened in this last hour or this last three hours and if nothing has happened, let it go. Don't don't get caught up in oh I have to look at all this feed stuff because it has been looked at by your technology. But we as humans need to accept the fact that some of this technology has to work for us because we can't sit in front of these screens and watch 24 hours of 37 feeds. You start doing the multiplication on that, and you'll go nuts. I mean. You don't get lost in the fog of the technology. Let the technology work for you. And don't fight the technology when it does work for you. Excellent that, advice. You know, um, sometimes I wish that we... Uh, sometimes I just wish we, we would go out there with a pair of thermal goggles and a pair of night vision goggles and we sit there and watch. <laughs> I don't have to... You don't have to sit in a trailer and watch feeds or, or set cameras or, or just go back to the simplistic part of it because it, for me and for the rest of us, it has become a lot of work. And the fun is, has been pushed to a very low minimum, and uh, we're doing a lot of work. So, if I sound burnout or the rest of us are burnout and I'm trying to I'm trying to mo hang on. I'm trying to motion I'm trying to motion the the Vance and Mitch to come over here and maybe say something before we go out, but they're they gotta go set up some batteries. Um anyway, um uh that's why I'm trying to get a point is just basically we're tired and we're getting a we're approaching a burnout level, but we have to keep going because we've come too far to let it to make mistakes, and that's what we really have to fight. So I guess I should probably just say that that's kind of where we're at, and there's things that I'm sure you didn't get answered tonight that you wanted to address that I I, I wanted to address that get said tonight, And but I know, I'm sure we'll eventually come back and well, get them. We covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground tonight. I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing, fascinating. And I just want everybody to know that I don't want everybody to be jealous but in in two or three short weeks, I'm gonna be down there talking with Ed in person. So uh, I'm very excited. Yeah, about I guess about three four weeks. 
three weeks. Yeah, good. yeah, three weeks easy. Um, also, uh, I know that a lot of people, and I'm going to be real quick about this because I know we're running out of time. Um, we have submitted a second, the second comparative samples for testing, and uh, we're not going to be using uh, the regular what they call PCR test. We're going to be using a, uh, or they are going to be using a PCR dash SS. Let me see, was a dash SSCP test, and it's called a single strand conformational polymorphism. That has more letters in it than the entire alphabet. <laughs> but, uh, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's from what I understand, a very large. Uh, comparative type analysis they're going to put to these um, uh, base pairs that we've been able to pull off of this data or off of the DNA. Um, it's looking very good, and that's really about all I can say. Um, when you look at the uh, differences in the base pairs between a couple of these samples, you're looking at you know 0.09. Three uh, percent differential in primate DNA, you know, and four percent differential in human. You you start getting into a situation where, you know, like with this one with the this one test result. These are first generation test results using a, your basic PCR test, and that is your 5173 5, base pairs or nucleotides. Um, and 31 differentials between, or 0.599% difference in the base pairs of primates, and, and also a 2.06 difference in base pairs of humans. So these test results are becoming very narrow, very narrow, and uh, hopefully these next round of tests are going to, to break out Higher levels of these base, greater numbers of the base pairs, and they're what well, they call it a spanning, <coughs> excuse me, a spanning composite PCR test. So there's a lot of a lot of things are going to get answered, and more questions are going to be generated once these tests are complete. But um, you know, we just need time, and that's what we're doing. Time and you know a significant expense line to try and complete these tests on that stuff. I mean, if it's if you're not going to collect it and get it tested, then why spend the time to collect it? Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, gotta, in a couple of months, we, I mean, we're really coming down to the so final couple minutes of the show. Uh, mm -hmm. What we'd like, Ed, and you know, and maybe in a couple of months, we'll be well after your meetings. Uh, I will have met with you. We'll have, you know, sometime around possibly when we do the uh, memorial project, maybe uh -huh. we could get you and a couple of your research partners from the original six on a, on one of our shows. Yeah, that's uh, that's entirely possible. Um, of course, by that time we'll be down in Memorial Day, and um, we're really we're really uh, looking to the possibility of doing some live live feed work from that experiment. Uh, we just have to deal with a lot of logistics like we've already discussed, Randy, about right. we've got to run a fiber cable. It's going to be a, something we're going to have to deal with. Um, but, you know, if we can get those things answered, then we'll be able to 
hopefully do the the live feed work from that site. And I think that would be most exciting for people who couldn't attend the expedition uh, to see feeds from the testing and see feeds from the, the surveillance. And um, that uh, I think that would be a very good positive per, uh, positive step for everybody involved. Oh yeah. So, um, we're trying to work that out, and um, we'll have to get a, you know several different. We we'll have to set it up on a satellite feed. So, but anyway, we'll get all that worked out. Um, is that it? <laughs> like, I was gonna say, Darren, you got about 15 seconds to close the show down. Well, uh, we can actually go over a little bit. Uh, I was just gonna say, uh, you know, Ed jokes about uh, taking a two-year vacation and everything, and you know. If it actually did happen, Ed, I hope I can make you proud and <laughs> carry on your work. Uh, you know, I mean, that's some awful big shoes to try to fill. Uh, uh, what size shoe do you have? What size shoe do you wear? <laughs> size 11. <laughs> I wear 11. Hey. Okay. There you go. All right. Handle it. There we go. <laughs> but uh, I, I do want to say uh, I, I can't thank you enough for including the MABRC and a lot of this stuff because... Uh, you know, it, it just really fills a lot of us with pride that you would choose us to uh, to help out with some of this stuff. So, um, yeah, thank you. Well, just uh, I guess you need to you got you two and everybody else out there on the forum needs to take pride in the fact that they that you guys stick to doing the best you can to stay centered and out of the mess that goes on in a bunch of these other places, which. Do not get me started, Darren. Don't, okay. don't get me. Do not put me in that situation because okay. I'm going to make somebody mad. I'm going to make them mad. So um, anyway, I'll leave it at that. And, uh, you know, we'll just keep plowing forward and doing what we do. And uh, you guys do the same thing. And um, I'm looking on, I'm looking at booking my vacation in June. So get ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Sharon, uh, Dre, yeah. I, I know y'all been pretty much sitting on the sidelines. Uh, pretty much uh, the next show that we we have at the Bigfoot Field Guide is going to be all you two. So that's right. Woo. That's right. Yeah. So I, it's going to be uh, be quite a load off our shoulders, and uh, <laughs> I, I know y'all are going to do a great job. So yeah, we're looking forward to it very much. So <laughs> okay. Well, I guess for uh, for Randy and me, and of course uh, Dre, Sharon, and Ed, uh, that's another wrap. Uh, hope y'all join us for our next show. Just kind of keep an eye for the out on the forum for when the next show date is going to be. Of course, uh, we're going to keep it on talk show, folks, because we checked around, and right now that's probably the best thing that we can go with. Uh, so we'll let you know if anything changes. I sure appreciate everybody coming, and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks, Ed. All right. Bye. Thanks, Ed. If you're a serious researcher or fan of the neighborhood, wouldn't want to wear their gear. You should amble on over to the Cafe Press online store to pick up everything from T-shirts, hoodies, caps, and even coffee mugs. It's all there at the Neighborhood online store at www.cafepress.com slash N-A-B-R-C. And pick up all of your neighborhood items to show your support for the group where researchers think outside the box.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.